Hi there. This is Eli Altman coming to you from Oakland, California. So what are we going to listen to? Uh, this is a four-part podcast miniseries based on my 2018 book, Run Studio Run. Uh, if you haven't heard of Run Studio Run, uh, I wrote it as a way to help people manage and grow their small creative studios. In addition to my own experience running 100 Monkeys, I interviewed studio leaders from Draplin Design Company, Moniker, Manual, Hey Studio, Commercial Type, and more about how they manage their studios and what they've learned. So for me, this is the next step for one-on-one -on -one interviews with interesting studio leaders from around the US about how they got to where they are and what they've picked up along the way. Okay, let's get into it. I love showing up to places where I'm not really invited and pretending to fit in. I feel like it's like a fun game. That's the voice of Danielle Baskin. A San Francisco-based designer, artist, creative person, business person who has started so many companies. It's uh, just fascinating list. So she co-founded Dial-Up, uh, which is a voice-based social network that connects friends and strangers and can occasionally act as a virtual boss. Uh, she created Branded Fruit, which prints logos on... Uh, avocados and oranges and occasionally pineapples. Um, she created multiple conferences, New York's largest tricycle rental business. Uh, she's a press magnet, been featured in TechCrunch, Boing Boing, Vice, New York Times, and Wired. Um, she made a stick-on stained glass that you can put in your airplane window seat to make it feel like a prayer chapel. Danielle's a great example of how to get things started. Um, you know, for people who have trouble sort of making their ideas a reality, uh, she's a great example and has a ton of awesome advice uh, for people who need that extra push to get something off the ground. Uh, so hope you enjoy my interview with Danielle Baskin. When I was first introduced to your work, I think the main thing that struck me about it was just how diverse it was, like how many different projects you've started and kept going. And so I think the main thing I'm curious about is how you figure out what you want to work on. Yeah, I think I have like 20 different domain names and projects uh, that I'm currently maintaining. But um, yeah, I think like what I what I do before I figured out the logistics of actually running the thing and if it's a physical product before I figured out how to like mass produce it, um, I just create landing pages and see what the internet thinks. And then that sort of determines what I spend my time on. Um, I've launched things that like only five people will ever care about. And that's fine. I think like that might be the that might be the project. It's just designed for a small audience. Mm. Um, but then some things that have caught on and have turned into like actual businesses where I have to like start an LLC and hire people. Uh, that only happens after I've launched it and it you know goes in an unexpected direction because of people's reactions that I couldn't have necessarily foreseen. And does the type of reaction you're going for sort of vary by project or is it just about like really getting a response? Well, I mean, I, I generally launch things that I'm really excited about, but it's hard to know if the things that you care about are things other people care about. Um, you could assume that you could assume things, but like, I don't know, sometimes those things are hits and sometimes people don't care. So um, yeah, I sort of, I, I mean, I usually put all, everything that I launch, I usually like share on Twitter uh, and then send it to a few friends and see what happens. Um, and then it spins in many directions. <laughs> and like, what's the most surprising response you've gotten so far to something you've put out there? What happens is, uh, for some reason, I, I'm like a press magnet. I don't know how it happens, but I get a, like, I don't know, for the, last, for the last 12 years, like when I put a project on the internet, somehow press writes about it and I don't even try. It's just like a, a strange, Not a bad a strange problem. curse or blessing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like I think I've I've started I've started projects and I mean it entirely as a joke. Like when I started a a company that prints logos on fruit, I thought that was sort of this dystopian joke that I I only made like 
two avocados for a friend, like for her barbecue and put logos on these avocados and went over. And then I was like, oh, what if I made a whole company out of this? Um, and I actually like launched it at a, at a thing in San Francisco called the Stupid Ideas Hackathon. Because um, I thought printing <laughs> logos and avocados is really dumb. Like, but it's actually, it's actually pretty cool uh, and useful because people need swag. People want sustainable swag. Um, like people take pictures of this thing. Um, and after I like made a landing page for, I just started with custom avocados, like Salesforce somehow found it and they ordered 500 avocados for me. So then I had like an actual portfolio. Whoa. Then I like fake, I wanted to like create another business that acquired custom avocados. So I created branded fruit. And that was also a joke. Like why not print? We can print on potatoes. We can print on pineapples. We can print on anything, onions. And so I created a landing page with just a ton of logos and like a ton of fruits and vegetables. And then this like got on fast company <laughs> as though this was like a hot trend. And so from that point on, I got hundreds of requests and it's like, it was, it, it, I had the business. I mean, there aren't really conferences so much anymore. So like that I, I don't do for these days, but, but in its peak, I was doing like, I don't know, 5,000 pieces of fruit a month. Wow. Sometimes less. But I yeah. feel like, I feel like the pineapple would be significantly more difficult to print on than the avocado. Uh, yeah. That hold up. I that's why I charge ten dollars per pineapple. <laughs> totally. Like it is. Some fruit <laughs> takes longer, and so the pineapples. Not just are they difficult to to put a logo on, but like they're really difficult to transport. And if you're like, oh yeah, I I have only recommend if people want pineapples and they like live in New York. It's so it's just so heavy for shipping. Uh, so I tend to only do pineapples locally. <laughs> I'll like rent a van. Um, so like at most I've just done 50 pineapples. I don't if people have asked for a thousand pineapples and I just like don't have the space. <laughs> I prefer oranges and clement clementines are the thing that I prefer. They're very tiny and portable. Pineapples for sale only in the following states. Yes. <laughs> And like in terms you you sort of mentioned that conferences aren't really happening so much anymore. Yeah. Uh which I've also noticed. But I've also saw that on your site, like you've already done projects that are sort of like, you know, post coronavirus world oh, related. projects. Yeah, like related. face ID masks. Yeah, I've done a bunch of projects. Uh yeah, masks that look like people's faces, which I actually created that in early February before, before the idea that we all had to be wearing masks was a thing. Um, Prescient. I kind of, I thought it would be popular in China. I actually got a lot of press, uh, press in China. Uh, Like I looked on WeChat for uh, face ID masks and there was a lot of press on it, but I didn't realize the whole world would be wearing masks. And back in February, I was actually in communication with a bunch of mask companies trying to order just like a roll of N95 and I thought I would mold like print on it here in San Francisco and mold it but I couldn't get my hands on a roll of it of course on the shortage like I I stopped I didn't make it for sale until I sort of revamped the whole site um a month ago and made a new entity called mask alike where you can like upload your face and get it printed on cotton not um N95 and then it looks like your face um and there's uh, 9,000 people on the wait list for one, which is crazy. Wow. I, I'm actually like, I kind of don't have time to, to run this business because I have another, I have, a, I have other pandemic related projects, but, um, <laughs> I'm actually talking to, uh, uh, different, um, like e-commerce, uh, like different vendors that want to take on the project as their own. And, um, I'm, you know, like I can, I'm selling my tech and, uh, my list and, the, on okay. the funnel and um also have been looking into manufacturers but i'm trying to like someone else who's used to like shipping gar- shipping like clothing or other fashion on the internet like al- might also want to take on this business sure yeah i guess that brings me to this question about like w- with so many projects kind of up and running at the same time i'm super curious about how you organize your time like both on a day-to-day basis and just like if you're looking at an upcoming year or month like how how do you think about how to divide your time yeah i actually 
Do you think that it's difficult to switch contexts like so often in one day? So I tend to work on things for like long blocks and then just like totally switch and then I won't work on it again for like another week. And like when I was launching Mask Alike, I just decided to like stay up really late and I went to sleep at 6 a.m. and got the whole site and set up the whole funnel to collect email addresses and like tag things and sent out a bunch of emails to potential vendors and like did this all in one day and then didn't touch it again for another 10 days. And like I kind of I guess I I like sort of focus on things intensely as opposed to doing like checking things for a little bit. And this is an issue because I sort of it seems like I've abandoned things like I will ignore I will ignore emails from one particular email address for like two weeks sometimes because like I can't deal with, I can't deal with this right now. (laughs) Um, And most of my time right now is, is focused on dial up my voice chat app. um, Mostly because, uh, and there's 18,000 people using it and they try to get in touch with us every day. And like, there's, you know, people because there's people using it like right in front of me i feel like that's the most important thing um it's more it's more sort of like pressing and urgent because you can feel that there's humans on the other side of it yeah it feels like it and for most of my other products they are um they are physical goods and not necessary like a lot of people are using dial up for you know if they're feeling lonely or like need to talk to someone and it's affects people's mental health and if someone is waiting for like i started a project where i I printed um stained glass on these sheets of plastic that are uh that can stick that can cling to glass so it's not adhesive so you could stick it on an airplane window so it turns your if you're if you're flying you can be praying it turns it into a place of prayer you know these these were not super difficult for me to manufacture here i have like this super fancy printer that can print on this stuff. And I, I sort of hand cut it, um, which took a few hours, but I, it took me a month to actually ship out the orders. Cause I thought it doesn't matter if they don't get like, this is not an essential item for these people. So like, even if they're upset and they're sure. like, I ordered this, where's my stained glass window? It's like, this won't matter in, in a few years, but I feel like, oh, no, like on my voice chat, if someone gets disconnected from an interesting conversation, like that person might become their best friend. Like that's more important. So I have to prioritize yeah. based on what I think like it matters for people. Can you explain dial up in case oh, yeah. uh, anybody listening has, sort of hasn't heard about it yet? Yeah. I mean, I'll explain what it is now, but we keep we keep experimenting with it. Um, so dial up started as a very small group of people that opted into having their phone ring every few days. And when you picked up the phone, it was a random person who also signed up for it. Uh, so I had some friends on and my, my friend Max, who built this with me, had some friends on. And so every few days your phone would ring and you would get a surprise person. Um, now it's 18,000 people all over the world and we have particular topics. So if you want to discuss what books you're reading or what podcasts you listen to or what you're like having for breakfast, uh, you can sign up for these calls and you get calls and you can choose like a random time each day or you can choose weekly on a schedule. And it's always a surprise person when you pick up. Um, so that's how it is right now. But now we have this issue of like all these people have met each other and they're now friends and want to stay in touch. So we're building out a system to like you can automatically stay in touch with people that you want to keep talking to. People that you've met or your actual like, or your actual friends. You could like invite your friends on. Be yeah, like, you're sort of. You're like backing your way into a social network. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it start like the, the social network started as like my friends talking to each other. And now it's like, to- it's always a surprise person. It's like, you can get like a lawyer in Afghanistan or like an ice fisher in Canada or a horse rancher. Like it's totally random. Wow. Ages, locations, it's 183 countries. But now we sort of want to turn it back into the original thing where I can like let everyone just like match with their friends and friends of friends because it's kind of exciting. I think like meeting like meeting new people is very novel, but like how many times can you explain your life story to a stranger every day? <laughs> so um, we're going to turn it back into what it was, but for every for everyone on it. So, yeah, we are, we are totally building a so we're building a, a, a voice social network. One of the cool things I thought 
about or what like what I saw about dial up was that you have you sort of offer your services as a freelance boss. Oh, yeah, that's actually that was an experiment we did early on. So like after we're doing random friend matching, a lot of my friends and Max's friends are self-employed. Uh, just I don't know. I I don't know why I have so many self-employed friends, <laughs> but um, or like uh self-employed or work remote or freelance or whatever. Um, and so we actually, because we got called at random times, they'd often call us like while we're in the middle of working on things. And we thought it was super helpful to be interrupted and talk about what you're working on. Because otherwise, when you're socializing with friends, like you're usually like, you know, it's the end of the day or you've decided to take a break. But if someone catches you and you're like in the middle of coding something or like in the middle of something and your friend's like, oh, what are you up to? It's like, oh, actually, it was super helpful for me to verbalize it. So we have a specific uh, line on dial-up called your boss, which where you pretend to be like where you can be like, hey, what are you working on? When's your next deadline? And sort of like motiv- motivate each other to work. Um, it's sometimes uh, you can have a productive conversation or feel like you're um, you're like verbalizing things and figuring it out. But uh, other times, it's actually kind of nice to just take a break and talk about whatever in the middle of your workday because uh, it sort of takes you yeah. out of your head. So then when you return to your project, like it feels fresh. I just feel like it's such a useful service for people who, it, you know, if you spend all your time in your own head thinking about, you know, your own ideas and kind of missing that level of interaction. Because I like I remember when, you know, when I worked like freelancer or just by myself, you know, no employees or anything, I would slowly drive myself insane just by not being able to talk to anyone. And I would, I remember I would just start to like make noises to myself (laughs) in my apartment just to sort of prove that I could, I could still like communicate something. Yeah. And then that was typically like my sign that I had to go to a coffee shop or something totally, like that. Totally. Yeah. But, I mean, I, th- like, I think humans need socialization, even if you are intro, even if you're like an introvert. I actually feel like I'm an introvert, even though I talk to people all the time. I just need time alone, but like only so much. Like you kind of need to talk to other people to feel like a human. <laughs> yeah. Important lesson. And I, I feel like uh, <laughs> I was talking about this with a friend the other day that sometimes you while you're talking to someone like in conversation you figure out a lot of stuff like even if someone just asks you how are you feeling even though like you might have thought about how you're feeling but then once you have to explain it to someone it feels more real in some way or maybe you've like actually clarified how you feel so like conversation totally affects your like totally affects what your thoughts are i i feel the exact same way about writing too the just being forced to commit how you feel about something to paper is incredibly useful yeah. just for your ability to think about it. Cause something might just exist in this emotional space and you haven't really committed it to real things that you feel yet. Right. Um, but you know, through conversing about it or, or writing about it, you sort of take it to this, you, you have to be more substantial or more concrete. Yeah. And then it clarifies exactly why you're feeling how you're feeling. It's easy to like yeah. think you know everything that's going on in your mind from having a ton of abstract thoughts, but then when you yeah, when you do have to actually write it down, you like realize a lot of things that were sort of like missing when you were just letting your mind run. Yeah. So I want to take it back to the the kind of organizing timepiece because there are a couple yeah. really interesting things you said I wanted to follow up on. And one is like this sense of of kind of putting a bunch of concerted energy into something and then like stepping back and then, mm-hmm. you know, maybe people are sort of like waiting for a response or, you know, maybe there's a ton of interest that shows up and you've kind of like moved on to something else. To me, it sort of, it like reminded me of what it feels like to be cooking something complicated. Mm. Yeah. That, you know, like I, I, I love cooking and baking and I always think about like, you know, there's this kind of dance of like, you know, which things are at what heat and what needs active Mm. attention versus what needs passive attention. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're just trying to get everything to this point where it like comes together at at the right moment. Like, totally. I mean, does it? So then when you're sort of working across all of these projects like this and, and certain things kind of feel like they have more draw than others. Yeah. 
like it was really interesting to me. You sort of said that the kind of human element of the draw was what really sort of stood out to you or, or like attracted your attention. Mm -hmm. Like how how else do you sort of think about how to prioritize what's on your plate? Yeah, I I love the the cooking metaphor because I actually feel like um, timing with releasing projects or even the importance of the project uh, is so dependent on like what's happening in the world. And you might think of an idea, yeah. but it's not the right time to launch it. So you can sort of let it stew. Like there's projects that I like projects or jokes or whatever I've like put on the internet and it was just not relevant to anything. But then like wait three years and then it is. Some some <laughs> things just need to age. Uh, and getting the yeah. getting the the timing right with a project is so important if you want any traction. So is it? It's so, just about it, kind of like joining the discourse or like being something that's top of mind for people. Like, how do you how enough. do you know when it's right? I don't know. It's kind of an intuitive thing based on what's happening in the world. Huh. I mean, I think like for like specifically for um, the pandemic, I have a lot of projects. I don't know. I can name like seven projects that weirdly relate to um, either being stuck inside or not being able to like be with people in person. For example, like a few years ago, I did this project where I put my I put my drone. Well, like I made all these sweaters for drones. I started making clothes for drones, which was supposed to be a joke for Fashion Week in San Francisco. But this got press and people were like ordering sweaters from me. And I decided to like put my drones on Tinder so you could go on a date with a drone. And I created a <laughs> whole system where I like put a baby, like I put a baby monitor inside the sweater. And then I also had a had like a baby monitor and a speaker connected to like a Bluetooth mic and like an iPad with like a vocoder so I could like hide and talk and it would make my voice sound like a robot and it would like the sound Whoa. would come from the drone. And um this is just like a funny project because drone. This is in 2016, so like drones were funny. I don't think they're that funny anymore. Um, or they're just we're just used to the concept of drones. But the concept of drone yeah. dating now is totally relevant to the pandemic because you can't like like sending <laughs> sending a robot proxy to like because it's totally safe. You don't have to be near a person. Yeah, and so you could actually like go to the park or like go. You know, you can. You can like be outside together and be, you have the drone in front of you. And I have a lot of projects that, I mean, not necessarily like for social distancing stuff, but like the humor in it or the humor and the idea only makes sense to some like other world event that's happening. And so I have things I've launched that I then like relaunch, but then I also just have a list of things I want to create and I just wait for the right time. And I don't like think about it that often. It just like something will happen in that project that I like previously written down just like pops to mind. I'm like, now is the time to launch it. And when we, when we sort of, um, we got a lot of press for dial up, um, when we created a thing called quarantine chat and was like, talk to someone in isolation. But actually the idea for that, I, I had this idea for it when I had three years ago, I had mono and I thought, Oh, I want to talk to someone else. Cause I like didn't I like felt really I felt really crummy and was like staying inside, and I thought and I was like reading forums where like people were describing their mm -hmm. symptoms and also like what they were doing with their time like they're just like I just wanted to like validate like are my experiences shared with other people and so I thought oh what yeah, if there's right. like mono chat like or uh, someone suggested the name stereo which I thought was cute. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was uh, it'd be like this thing where your phone would ring and connect you with someone else who has mono and you could talk about what how you're feeling as opposed to like reading forums and like this yeah. idea was filed away also like I was doing phone experiments with my friend Max at the time so that totally relates to it but we didn't like have an app yet and I think because I had already thought about it it was very natural when people were going into isolation like oh of course we should connect people in isolation with each other but it's like that idea had already been seeded years before. It feels like the phone is sort of almost a theme as we sort of, you know, everybody's like on Zooms and everything yeah. now, which have their own, you know, sort of benefits and drawbacks, I guess. But like, w w is there anything in particular about like phone as medium that's interesting to you? Yeah. I mean, I think voice conversations are so much more rich than video. Uh, I think like if you're on video, it's very distracting because you're like, 
making sure your own lighting yeah. is good. You're also like staring at one. I don't know, like, like staring at each other's faces is distracting for some reason. When in in person, like you don't think about your expressions as much. But like maybe it's because you can see yourself. Even if you turn yourself off, I think you're aware that someone's like staring right at your face. So you're really like, self conscious. <laughs> Um, yeah. And you're stuck at your screen, which is like, that's a lot of time. If you want to have like an hour long conversation with someone staring at your screen and seeing other notifications for things is like kind of annoying. Right. In person, you like have a new stimulus. You can both, if there's a bird, you can both turn your head and look at the bird. And there's just like a lot of um, like new memories can form. I think like what's happened with like Zoom is like, I kind of have blurred all my Zoom meetings into like this one memory. <laughs> It's always like the yeah. same, even if people have different backdrops, it's sort of always like the same sort of setup. I'm curious what your first job was. My first job, the first like job that I got paid, that I got paid to do like as a teenager or like as an adult? <laughs> as a teenager. Oh, okay. Well, I had, I had a bunch of uh, businesses like as a kid, but it was all for fake money because I, I used to play MMOs, like massive multiplayer online games. So I played RuneScape and Neopets. And I had like in ne okay. Neopets, I had like an HTML. Like I would, I can, I would go into your account and um, uh, add like backgrounds and music and stuff. And like you could choose, I don't know, I, I knew basic HTML. And so then you would pay me in, in gold. Um, uh, and I did this for a while. And then in RuneScape, I had a business uh, selling feathers to archers. So I would get find new players to kill chickens and I'd pay them in gold. And then I, I'd ask them to give me the feathers that the chickens dropped. And they were leveling up anyway. And then I would take those feathers wow. over to the area where there was like open battle and find like like wealthy, like top level archers and be like, hey, you could use these chicken feathers for your for your bow and arrow. Uh, but I'll give you a bundle of like a hundred because the store only sold like 20. Like you don't have to walk uh, all the way back to the store. I'll just give you a bundle of a hundred, but I marked it up like 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like an incredibly shrewd business sense for an 11 year old. And did these, I mean, it feels like there's a pretty direct translation from this to like running an actual business, right? Because the yeah. process that you went through that you described is like exactly the same process you would go through if you're figuring out, okay, well, like, what's a need that people have? And what's a skill that I have? And how do I make those things go together? Yeah, I think like for, um, yeah, for most things I create, I take something that I know how to do. And I think like is a unique thing that I can create. Um, and then I like sort of apply it to this need that I think people have and then see if they actually want me to solve it. Yeah. Um, well, and then you sort of combine that with what you were saying earlier about like putting something really quick, you know, and easy to get up out there, like gives yeah. you the ability to test that idea really quickly. Yeah. I think the craziest, like, and it's also like, I think for a lot of things I launch, I totally doubt whether or not it's like a silly idea or if people actually need it. I started a tricycle rental business in New York because I bought <laughs> I bought a tricycle for my neighbor. Like a it's sort of like a big cargo tricycle cuz I wanted a way yeah. I wanted a way to bring boxes to USPS cuz I was like walking with them and uh I think they didn't have like in New York they didn't have like package pickup or it's too complicated. So they actually needed to go. So I was like, "Oh, you have a cargo tricycle. Yeah, I'll buy it." Like it was cheap. I had to fix it up. And then once I got the tricycle, I thought like, oh, what if other people want tricycles? <laughs> and I thought like, oh, did, what if I they? what if I just rent it? Because I don't use it every day. I have like a really nice tricycle, but I don't I use it like once a week. So instead of like putting my tricycle on um like like spin lister spin spin lister or like some sort of site where you could like rent bikes i was like what if i like made it seem like i have a massive tricycle rental company <laughs> <laughs> and so i like got a landing i like made this landing page for like this sort of service where you could like buy it you could like rent a whole fleet of tricycles and you could pedal around your shop on it so like <laughs> It would be an advertisement. You could also sell things. You could bring, you could like transport things. And I made it seem like so I had uses. been doing it for years. <laughs> it like had an entity. I called it Peddler Pop-Ups. Um, <laughs> and you could like book the tricycle, but you'd have to fill out a form. But it made it seem like I had like a lot. I just had one. It feels like you have like the the opposite of imposter syndrome. 
where it's like that's true i've said that to people it's like a perfectly comfortable place for you to be in where you have no idea what you're doing and you've never done it before i actually yeah i actually love um this is another like the reason why i sort of bonded with max who started the voice chat app with me is because he used to i i love um i love showing up to places where i'm not really invited and pretending to fit in (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like if someone was like we want you to speak at this conference and i know absolutely nothing about the subject i'm like sounds right. awesome <laughs> i love to i love to figure things out as i go along and make it seem like i'm an expert um and max was doing things where he was just crashing like events on facebook so he was like searching for events that were totally just like random public events that you know weren't necessarily his industry or anything and he was just showing up to like a a book club or like a church meeting or whatever and just like you know blending in um and i was so interested in this concept because i think throughout my whole life i've always loved being in situations where i know nothing about things. <laughs> <laughs> i just have to figure it out i think the, i mean i i think it's scary but um it's just like a fun it's a fun challenge um and also it's some i don't know maybe it's amusing i don't know if it's i don't know like where it comes from because i think the idea of being in a place where you have to pretend to be an expert in something and know nothing about it is a terrifying idea yeah. to most people. But I like, I feel, I feel like it's like a fun game. Um, we, we do <laughs> at a hundred monkeys, we do like a version of this where you have to get up in front of the team and give a PowerPoint presentation you've never seen before. Oh, um, nice. But that's not ours. It's like a, Got it's it. like a military or like a, slideshare. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Like some military or government thing. And it's it's super useful. Yeah. I mean, I think I think like it's it's good to like I don't I think that you shouldn't be too confident. <laughs> like you can't you can't go around thinking you're an expert and everything. You have to be aware that you're playing. You have to be very aware that like you're actually not. <laughs> yeah. Um I also think you could become you could be, like suddenly have to learn a skill in a week and become an expert. Um, yeah, or or like with your tricycle thing, you you went from something that you made up to that actually being your reality in a fairly short amount of time. Totally, and even on I I think for most businesses, I do when I launch the thing, I make it seem like it's much larger than it is. And I used to do things where, like, if you emailed me, I'd like CC, like I would I would get the email address, like sales and press and like all the different accounts, even though it was all right. me, right? And then I would like CC, like, or like, oh, like info at Peddler Pop-Ups. Oh, you're interested in order? Let me like CC the sales team. But it was <laughs> yeah. just me. It was just me. But uh, so I'm, I'm curious about that because I imagine like looking on your site, you have job postings. So like, do you, do oh, you have employees real, now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, for my fruit company, yeah, I had like a my, my assembly line was like four people. Um, sometimes okay. it depends how many fruit how many fruits we had, and I had like part time customer service person. I mean, I did a lot of it on my own, and I also did it only occasionally. Like I didn't do fruit every single day. Um, but for our app dial up, we yeah we we're like hiring going back end engineers, and that's real. Most of my, I think like, I think starting out with a bunch of my companies, I had to make them seem like bigger than they were. But at this point, most of my things are real. Except for like new projects I launched, they're not established. Um, But the thing, I mean, I've had dial up for over a year. And my like my bicycle helmet company I've had for 10 years. That's definitely like a real business. And I do manufacture helmets and um but I guess starting out, you have to pretend that it's the same idea, but like two years ahead of itself. Why and why do you think is that? Because people people feel like they need to be dealing with a serious entity, or like what's the underlying? Like why does yeah. it need to feel so real? I think people people don't know what they want. I think people don't know what they want, and they need to be sold an idea as though it's like a popular thing. And this is like the power of press too, like. If if a journalist writes about you and describes your idea as an existing trend, you want to join it too. If the journalist writes about you and says they're in a testing phase, you're going to be skeptical of the idea. However, right. something is framed frame to you is how you in- integrate that into like what is reality. 
you can totally rent a tricycle. That is, that yeah. is like, a, that's a thing that exists. Um, we, we say that all the time about names that like, there's people who sort of want to test names and they just want to like, you know, ask their friends what they like, but that's different than how you come across any name or brand in the real world. It's not an option. Yeah, it's a right. proposition. Like, do I want my grocery store to be called Safeway? No. Right. It doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, it just I is. Don't, you want I to don't shop question there. it. I don't question it at all. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. Safeway is the grocery store. It is true. Yeah, I think like for, for names, that, that just becomes part of your vernacular and like that it becomes, you associate that name with that thing. I'm curious how like what the experience of having employees has been like for you. I mean, does it sort of feel like more trouble than it's worth? Does it feel rewarding and like freeing you up to do things you really want to do? Yeah, it depends. I mean, I think I've made, I think I have made mistakes for some projects hiring before I needed to like, and then it became more work to manage, like give that person work, right? Like yeah. once you hire someone, then you have a job. If you're a manager, you have the job of giving that person jobs. Unless, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it totally depends on the situation. They could also find themselves, they could, you know, create their own job. Um, it depends on the role. But managing, like, even, like, something I'm doing at Dial-Up, because we have, like, two contract engineers. Um, I am the product designer, and so, like, I it's my job to create, um, like, mock-ups like mock for, for the engineers to implement. And sometimes there isn't a mock to create or, like, we, I'm busy with other stuff, uh, and I I have to continually give them work. So yeah. it's like, oh no, like so. Part of my job is giving someone else a job. <laughs> um, and so I've, I mean, this is this is not a problem like for many organizations because there's always constantly work and people can figure out what they want. But I think it's I think it's important to like only hire when absolutely necessary. Otherwise, you're going to create another job for yourself to give that employee work. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it I think it's a problem like all the way up the chain that you have people who work for you and then it's your job to give them things to do. And there's good ways to do that and bad ways to do that and ways that make yeah. them feel like they have buy in and ways that make them feel like they're, you know, their job is meaningless. And it's like it's its own it's like its own art, its own sort of skill or thing to to develop and get good at. Totally. I think like my my sort of style as a manager too is to like only give people projects that they're really excited about. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's like I just wouldn't I don't want people to work on things they don't like doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then it's also it's not always the case that they have stuff to work on that they're excited about. Um, and uh, I also I'm pretty chill with like when people work and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, do you, figuring out how to be how to be an employer is, or how to be a boss, or how to be a manager is a constant work in progress. Yeah, I think like you're always kind of learning, um, on how to interact with the specific people on your team, or just like other things you could do. Like something that we started doing at uh, Dial Up is just like a weekly, a weekly check in where we just talk about. Uh, working with each other and not about the product. I think it's easy to constantly focus on like the work in front of you, but then having a space where you could talk about like your feelings or, yeah, uh, we, you know, like light criticism of like, hey, I didn't like when during this meeting you were interrupting me. Like, I don't know, you just talk about whatever's on your mind so it doesn't get buried. Because I think it's really, it's easy to never bring that stuff up because you have constant other things to worry about. But dedicating, we do this on Fridays. We we do that at a hundred monkeys on Fridays too. Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, it's also. It is, it's, I think it's these conversations are also really hard. I think it's hard. I think it's so. I think it's very. It's very difficult for me to like talk about my feelings at work. Huh. Uh, and so it's an exercise. It's just yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a challenge. It's also. I think it's hard for me. Um, we also talk like we, we have like question prompts and stuff to make it easier. And some of them are like, describe why you're proud of like, why are you proud of your team and stuff like that? And then I realized like, oh, I should be saying that stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's just, it's, it's just difficult because if you have a constant, if you're like stressed out and have a constant task list and like things to do, it's like, 
it's difficult to always be thinking about everyone's feelings. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's like a whole different mode or thing to be sensitive to or pay attention to. And like, if, if that's not coming naturally, it's like maybe having those, you know, those reminders or those sort of situations that you create really help to, to sort of build that muscle. Yeah, totally. Totally. So I'm curious what you say to people who sort of have trouble getting started. Um, cause you sort of seem like you have your black belt in getting started. Um, mm. so like, oh, like what, someone like, who has an idea and they don't know what to do. Yeah, they don't know, exactly. Like, how to put it on the internet. I mean, I have like a few tools I recommend actually, cause I think it's actually super, it's super easy to buy a domain name and set up a landing page, even without knowing how to code. And but even, no. even like step, step back from that. Like even, even before that, where it's just like, I have an idea, like, how do I, how do I turn this idea into a real thing? Like, well, yeah, I mean, I think it has to be a sort of good idea. <laughs> okay. I think like, I think it's the, okay. The best way, this is what I do. I think I, if I have an idea and I'm not certain of it, I just tell people, like I tell friends at parties, I'll like text someone. I think I need some sort of, I need some sort of external, like maybe it's just one person saying that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) I think I need like some sort of external feedback before even like going forward. Okay. Uh, Unless, unless it's like some occasionally I want to tell no one because I like that it's a surprise. Okay. And I'm just like very, I'm very sure of it. But for most things, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I won't. Can I run this by you? And I just text, I just text people I know, or I'll like, I've posted, I've posted half I, like ideas to like, I don't know, like a group of people on Slack or something. Just like, I just yeah. need some sort of feedback because it helps me um, be more connected to reality. <laughs> and then, okay. So then they, they come back and say, somebody comes back and says they're into it. And then, like, wh- how do you think about, like, making that actionable? Like, how did, what's your process for, like, how, how you bring that into the world? Yeah, I mean, it depends what it is. If it is, sure. I think a lot of things don't even need a landing page. A lot of people, a lot of things don't need a name. They don't need a landing page. They just need to exist and you need to show people. So that might mean if it's, like, let's say it's a physical product. That might mean making one and then carrying it around with you <laughs> and showing people. Yeah. Like, you don't necessarily have to have this grand launch for your ideas. I think that things could sort of be more subtle. And then over time, you could just decide to launch it. Um, I I always tell people not to, I think, I, I think I saw a tweet about this or something who, who someone phrased this nicely, that like you, if you launch an idea that's not ready yet, just asking people for their feedback, you'll be more you'll be less likely to actually create it because the act of launching it, um, like the imagining it is like just as powerful as launching it. And it's not as exciting for these people to see it the second time around. (laughs) Okay. Depends what it is. If let's say, let's say you are, you, you want to write a book and you start telling all of your friends, I want to write a book. And you keep saying that and like, or you're in the middle of writing a book and you're telling everyone, like, I'm in the middle of writing a book. It'll feel more special if you kept it a secret and then just said, I wrote a book. Because <laughs> then no one, no one expects you to be doing it. And the idea is novel for everyone who's ever heard it. Because people will forget, yeah. like, you know, you already, you already said you're writing a book. In their head, you've already written the book. Like, you just kind of imagine many steps forward. And so when you've actually written the book, it's not as exciting. Totally. I mean, totally. This is not like, <laughs> it's still exciting if someone says I'm writing a book and then they do it. But just psychologically for the person writing it, it might not, yeah. it might not reach as many people and it's not as thrilling. And you've also set yourself into a trap where you have to do it. And so well, I think keeping I, things a secret is like kind of fun. <laughs> well, I feel like the, the root here to me seems to be like, understanding what motivates you um because i oh, know totally. yeah, it's dependent on the person because you know because i know some people for whom telling somebody that they're doing something is like 
you know, that means they put it out there. And that means since they told someone about it, they absolutely have to do it because they don't want to be a liar and they don't want to be somebody who, you know, says they're going to do something and doesn't. But to other people, maybe that like just builds up pressure on them and makes them feel like they're never going to, you know, they're never going to get there. Um, Yeah. But like, no, uh, yeah. I think it's dependent on, yeah, dependent on the person, also dependent on the project. Like, I think also it's totally okay to tell people you're doing something and then you don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like that's there a good isn't the, the the external pressure is all invent is all in your own head because you've told someone you're going to do things, then you think, oh, that person's waiting for it. When in reality, yeah. they've probably forgot they've probably forgotten about it, and that <laughs> might be point. enough enough motivation to actually do it. But it's also not a reason to pursue doing it, even if you think like actually this isn't a good idea. But I told everyone I have to do it, like. You don't. You you can back out on your word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's uh, like then maybe it's just about not putting pressure on yourself unless yeah. you feel like you need it. But like I, you know, yeah. the, the sense that it's like it's more it's a bigger mountain to you than it is to anyone else in your life. I think makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think what's good is to tell a small group of people you're doing something so you do have that sort of accountability, but don't like publicly announce it because then there's like way too much pressure. And it's more exciting to wait for a public launch once the thing is out there because especially, I mean, if I were to, I I create a lot of of, like internet jokes and you, with a, (laughs) with the, with a joke concept, you only have one chance to, you only have one chance to have the joke hit. Like you can't, unless you wait a few years. (laughs) Or you forgot about it and you could relaunch <laughs> then, it with a different context, like my drone dating thing. Like I could relaunch that next week and it would seem like I just created it. But I also will tell people that you have no idea what project you create will like go viral or like get a ton of traction. Right. And so imagine that everything that you create, like, will that will happen. And do you want that to happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good reality check for sure. <laughs> Like, if this succeeded and this becomes your whole life, do you want that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a really important question. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have, like, three kind of more quick-fire questions for you. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, maybe we can we can do those three and call it? Sure. Cool. Um, so first one is what tools are you relying on? Yeah, I mean, I could I, if we want to be quick about it. Um, I use so for pretty much every internet project I do, uh, for like landing pages, I use Zapier. Um, so Zapier is sort of like a way to to automate f- automate functions between different apps and technology. So, huh. like for example, if I um, have a form on my site, I can say every time someone fills out this form. It sends them an email and then it notifies me, me in Slack that they filled out the form. Okay. It's like, if this, then this. Um, I do this for absolutely everything. So like if someone orders something from me, I automate sending the shipping information to like Shippo or ShipStation. And then I have like their uh, order go into an Airtable spreadsheet. And then I have like, I get an alert and they get a receipt and just all these things that are not necessarily possible with the specific like service or, you know, internet service that you use. Like if you just use a regular form builder, or if you like code something yourself or like uh, use like Squarespace or some web builder, like you're not going to get all of those fine tuned things. So I use Zapier. Um, Also I use card for landing pages, which is uh, you can insert code snippets, but you also can do it without code. It's C-A-R-R-D dot co. Um, also super cheap. It's like you can get a hundred landing pages for like, a, it's like a dollar per year per landing page or something like wow. that, which is like a better deal than every other web builder. Um, I use power.io for all my forms because you could build really beautiful forms. And I think forms are important for absolutely everything, every project that exists on the internet. Yeah. So people could contact you or order things or like you could collect information, like super important to have that in place before launching anything. And uh, power.io like allows you to customize it. You could even do like payment options and like calendar booking and you could you know change how it looks and all that. You were going to ask me something. 
Oh, uh, I was going to ask uh, what sort of a, a like business book or podcast or just like any. Oh, got it. Okay, that's yeah. Really useful for you. Uh, totally. I'll just like list a bunch. Uh, I I uh, listened to How I Built This, mm-hmm. um, which with uh, Guy Raz, who it's like like they're startup founders, but also like YouTubers and like people who own breweries and all that. Uh, I listened yeah. to uh, Work in Progress. It's Slack's podcast. Uh, so they interviewed like different entrepreneurs. Uh, also making, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a lot of companies have podcasts now, which is, it's pretty cool. And it's not like it's overly sponsored by Slack. Uh, It's just like they have, you know, they, they let someone be creative. They barely mention Slack. Um, uh, making ways is, uh, sort of, uh, more, uh, like more interviews with people who have like creative, like muralists and artists and, uh, other like creative folks who've created careers for themselves. And then I also listened to Masters of Scale with Reed Hoffman, which is very much like startup focused. Uh, like, yeah, very much like VC backed startup founder stories. And last one, uh, mm-hmm. you have like a role model in a business sense, somebody mm. who you sort of really respect, look up to in terms of how they handle their operation. I So like as far as like the the organizational like organizational logistics of someone running their company. I don't always like ask people that, but I do have, I do have role models of people who have created unique companies out of like something they're excited about doing. That's like a very niche creative thing, but it's a company. That's a, I think like uh, there's a company that just like is high. You can hire them to do pranks, uh, which is called mischief (laughs) in New York. So Gabe Whaley started that. And I, I talked to him like maybe two years ago, but their company has, um, has, is now like, I don't know, like major brands will hire them to do internet stunts. But he was just doing that stuff anyway. Like he just found things funny and created landing pages and did jokes on YouTube and stuff like that. But I like that he was able to turn that into an actual business. And it's a strange thing to sell pranks. I think that sort of unifying piece of like, if you have something that you're really interested in, really passionate about, and you kind of keep doubling down on it, keep following what really keeps you interested and engaged, then you might find up in a you know find yourself in a place that you never expected to be. Yeah, totally. All right, Danielle, thank you for uh, for taking the time to to speak with me. If people want to f- find out more about you, where where should they do that? Uh, you, I use Twitter all the time, so you could like DM me on Twitter, uh, and like follow my projects there. I'm DJ Baskin. Uh, and then my website is daniellebaskin.com and anyone can email me and I, I list most of my projects there too. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for stopping by and talking. Oh yeah. It was great to talk to you.